0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. This week the three big stories were firstly 27th of August was the 35th year anniversary of the military coup that brought in General Babangida into office. Secondly, the multinational drinks company Diageo has complained that they are struggling to raise foreign exchange to repay their debts. Thirdly, Wale Shoinka and Governor Autumn of Benue have raised the alarm about the water resources bill that has been represented to the Nigerian House of Assembly. Discussing these issues with me are firstly my co-host, Phoenix underscore Agenda on Twitter. My other guest, is Eloka51 on Twitter. Eloka is a trade finance specialist working in Toronto. The second guest is Contributions on Twitter. Contributions is a medical doctor and public health researcher in America. So, firstly, I say welcome to our guests. Thanks
1: for having me. Thanks for having me, Kegger.
2: Hi, Nigeria's best,
0: and uh, thanks, guys, for joining us. Hi, listeners. Well, yes, so contributions. No, sorry, Phoenix agenda. To the first topic, the IBB uh, General babangidas coup of 1985, it's been 35 years since. The three big uh, themes of his coup, coup speech were that firstly, under Buhari, the standard of living had dropped. Secondly, that a cabal was running the government to the exclusion of others. And thirdly, he said there was a lot of sectionalism. So the government was not recognizing the ethnic diversity of Nigeria and only making decisions to favor one section of the country. So to you, Phoenix, would you say, thirty-five over 35 years after, has, has anything changed?
2: You know, I was just thinking about that, um French, um, saying, I'll, I'll say it in English, the more things change, the more they say the same. Um, I mean, it's, it's uh, the same things that uh, Buhari was accused of um, by that coup that have come to the fore in his time as, uh, as a democratically elected president. I mean, talk about, Sectionalism. Talk about having a cabal. <laughs> talk about standard of living. We just saw. Um, we just saw the unemployment report um, show us the, the dire situation that Nigeria is in, and especially with our youthful population, where um, two thirds of the of people between the age of fifteen and thirty four are unemployed. Um, we 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 see um, a country that has gone into recession once and on, is on surely on the way to another one, making the third time that Buhari as leader of the country will take us into a recession. We just saw the GDP report for Q two showing us that there was a, um, uh, a contraction by six percent, even though uh, we we expected it with COVID, but. I mean, even before COVID, we we could see the downward trend that the that the economy was going under, and and the, the cries around sectionalism. I mean, you can't even, I mean, all of his appointments coming from one part of the country. Um, I mean, his reticent to call um, to deal with um, Fulani headsmen, but happy to go after ipob with vim and vega and i mean we just heard that some people were were killed um was it last week or the week before so every thing he was accused of then he's i mean has come to the fore now that he's had a longer time so it's almost as if you know when i was when i think about this i'm like no coup in nigeria has ever had merit no coup i mean and all of them have been dastardly i mean the times that we've had the military in power have Really took us behind, but, but perhaps this one coup was the one that we needed the most. Firstly, because the one before that that brought Buhari to power actually sacked a, dem, a democratically elected government, uh, which is unforgivable as far as I'm concerned. Because no matter how bad democracy is going, we prefer that to to any military rule. Um, and more importantly, because of the, the the reasons, which were valid reasons, of course. We will not forget how IBB's um time in office went. I mean, his 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 um place in ignominy is I mean is uh, rest assured, he would always be seen as one, one of the people who really destroyed the fabric of this country with corruption and making it widespread. But if we're talking about point in time, August 1985, it was needed. And perhaps. Forgetting about the how many years uh, between eighty five, the fourteen years that followed. If we forget all the corruption and all the mismanagement, stopping that Buhari government perhaps saved us from a worse fate um, that may have come. Um, We could maybe have become the Zimbabwe or Venezuela or whatever under that Buhari regime. Um, But but stopping it at that point, as far as I'm concerned, in my my view, at least kept us going and middling along with not really falling into um, total disrepair. And then we found our way back 14 years later with democracy coming and then development coming and then, you know, sort of like getting the economy back on track. And then you see what happened between 1999 and 2015, those 16 years of... We, we we won't ignore the corruption that happened, but we cannot ignore the development that happened. We cannot ignore the 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 telecom re- revolution. We cannot ignore the um, the broadening of the economy, the diversification. We cannot ignore the opening up of the economy, the liberalisation, the deregulation. And then you see what has happened since 2015 to date. And we will talk about some one of the effects when we talk about when we get to the next topic. But you see how everything has regressed again over the last five years. So it makes you then wonder, if that coup hadn't happened, how much worse it will have been.
0: Thank you, Phoenix. Um, one of the issues you've raised is, you basically said that the Buhari who was overthrown has not really changed. Uh, the same things he was accused of doing then are the same things still happening now. To Eluka, <laughs> focusing on General Babangida himself, he came into office in 1985 with a lot of goodwill. People were excited that Buhari and Idiad L- L- Bon were gone, but obviously by 1993 when he left, he basically left with his uh, tails between his legs. So the, the question is, how, how did Babangida just unraveled or, or what, was, it, was it a moment of madness or what happened that sent his, his regime downhill? Um, I mean,
1: what happened to Babangida is what happens to every, every unplanned military takeover or planned military takeover. So you see, you come with a lot of goodwill and you, when you get to, you see, we do not have the skill and the intellectual capacity to run a diverse country like Nigeria. So what I think happened was that in order to run the country, Babangida started settling people he felt would challenge him. So he didn't. He didn't. So he said it was he, The coup was to set Nigeria on the right path, right? But Babangida didn't have the capacity, didn't know what to do to set Nigeria on the right path. So what do you do? You call people. Okay, how do we fix this? Throw money at it, and I mean there was a bit of money to be thrown at too. So, so what I think will happened to Babangida was simple. I don't want to talk about corruption, because I mean, corruption is a symptom of a problem the problem we have we've had in nigeria is that the, both the military and civilian governments do not know how to set nigeria on the right path so after four years people are going to get tired i mean you can sell them the good music for two or three years but in the fourth year when they are when they are seeing that there's not nothing has actually changed instead some people are getting richer some people are getting poorer but the economy is not improving for everybody. Of course, the economy will improve slightly, but it's not, it's, you, you can't say everybody is benefiting from improving the economy. So after four, five, six years, people got tired. There's a, there's a limit to how you can buy people. you know And so what I think happened to Bamangeda was that he got there, he, maybe he got confused. I mean, if he saw that there was t- too much money to be made, and it was easy for him to buy allegiances instead of fixing the country and what now damaged his brand was the election he cancelled, after promising to i mean relinquish power putting right democratic um conducted democratic election and hand over power he conducted one which was adjudged to be the fairest and best in quote, that has ever been done in nigeria and refused to hand over power and excuse excusable that he couldn't do it i mean you're a head of state You've been head of state for eight years. You you have not set any machinery in place and ensure that when you were going to hand over power, you going to it was going to be peaceful. At the last minute, you're now telling Nigerians that, yes, I said I was going to hand over power, but at the, at that critical time, I found out that powers that be didn't want me to hand over power to a certain person. I mean, nobody's going to listen to that kind of story. If you if you if you are sitting if you are military for three years, yeah, I can understand what you're saying that not you've not had the power to stifle opposition voices or stifle or build your build a large a a patronage network nobody's going to listen to that story so as with all military regimes they come up with so much there's this enthusiasm ah yes a new government in power we expect that they're going to set things in the right motion but he didn't do that he was more interested in enriching himself buying up allegiances and at that point when he did to put his name in gold he faltered so I think that's what happened to Babangida. And it has happened to a lot of military leaders, a lot of both civilian and military rulers, not, not having the skill, right? And not having the knowledge of how to guard the nation into the right path. I mean, you can, you can argue, you can say, yes, things got a little bit, things were better than, things were better in Barangida's time than in, in in things were better in Babangida's time than in Barangida's time, but to what extent? You know, so... I mean, there's, there's, that's, that's all I have to say about what happened to uh, Babangida.
0: No, well, thank you, because you've, Eruka, you've highlighted the uh, June 12 saga, which was one of the big issues uh, that uh, plagues the Buhari government. Um, Babangida government, sorry. Contributions. I know your specialism is in uh, public health. General Bhangida had the longest, one probably one of the longest stretches in, in military rule, apart from Gowan, who did, I think Gowan did about 10 years, and General Bhangida was in office for about eight years. What what impact do you think the military government had on healthcare in Nigeria, in terms of uh, health outcomes? Because I know one of his ministers then was Professor Uliko Ransom Kuti. Right. Um, he did very well as a health minister, but... Overall, when you look back, would you say it was a good time for healthcare in Nigeria? Mm.
3: Um, so healthcare is uh, one aspect of quality of life, and so if the quality of life of people is horrible, there's really not much you can do with healthcare. Um, so um, Olikoye was a bright and shiny star um, for the Babangida regime, but. Um, uh, that, that he was not enough to uplift the quality of life of people. You know, um, just talking about Babangida's, um, his cool speech and the things he set out to do, when I read it, it was very progressive. Like, if that speech was given today, I would be like, this is a person I want to stand by. You know, the things he highlighted as the problems with the past regime were, were correct, and Phoenix Agenda has stated that, uh, that we still see them today. And that's, that's, that's a shame, that's horrible. Um, but in, in the vision that Babangida set out in a cool speech, not, not in terms of uh, a beginning of the year um, broadcast, but in a cool speech, This man was able to say, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Uh, That that was very progressive, but it just turned out that he did not achieve those things. And so much so that even though he was a military president, we had people rioting in the streets, uh, which which would not happen today with Buhari, even though Buhari is civilian, right? People can protest. But not riots, the way we did, people rioted when Babangida was there. And I think that um, Babangida's failure is tied to a couple of things. Um, Elok has said corruption is, is a symptom. And I think it's a symptom of what governance across Africa is, which is really Uh, extractive the same template of extraction that was brought by colonial leaders is what we continue with and so um, to Elokar's point we are unable we do not know what to do to set the country aright because the template that we work with um, just leads to extraction people taking money out of the system instead of putting in money to improve the quality of life Um, So to circle back to your question, one of the things he said in his speech was that our hospitals are mere consulting clinics, right? And um, with a a style of extraction, there's no way that we could develop our hospitals or our health system. So to answer the question, uh, Babangida failed and everybody continues to fail today, not because of Babangida the person, but because of the system of governance that we have inherited and we have refused to change.
0: Well, thank you, Contributions. I know you've uh, you said, yes, the healthcare failed because you've, you've made the point that Eloka made, which is that Nigeria uh, practices an, an extractive system and Babangida failed to fix that. But I suppose the, the last quick question for Phoenix on this topic is, is it true that Babangida did not have the competence or did not know what to do? Because if I remember clearly, he had very highly qualified and competent people in his cabinet. You had, uh, for example, Ulukoi Ransom Kuti, You had Ulufalae who studied at Yale. You had Dika Kalu. There were so many people there who had sterling CVs. So was it really the case that Babangita did not know what to do or there was something else at play?
2: I, I think I think when Eluka refers to him not knowing what to do, he, he used a he used a, a term um, a diverse. He, what the, he used the, the the full thing he said was he didn't know how to manage a diverse country as Nigeria, which is true. The 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 challenge. So first of all, to talk about Babangida as a person. Babangida was was bright, was intelligent. You can't compare Babangida and Buhari. Babangida was, I mean, he, he was a very smart person. He was cunning. He was aware. He was intellectually sound as as much as can be, um, having a very sound military education and being someone of a high intellect himself. The challenge he had was having come to power as a military ruler. He and from the part of the country that he was, there there was that um, how would I put it? There was that sense of being beholden to that part of the country, and that's where it all falls down. When when you don't you don't come to office as as somebody who's looking out for the best of Nigeria, but as somebody who who looks at Nigeria as okay, this is my my place to govern, but my loyalty still goes to one part of the country, which is also what we're seeing with, with Buhari. So it, it it really impacted him in the sense that while he was more open than Buhari is or could ever hope to be, and therefore had a lot of people in his government, that act of not being able to hand over, which was primarily his own grid, and also because of some of the um agreements that they had made because you see when they did when they do these coups it's always a was it was almost like a turn-by-turn thing and you know not one person can stand up and say okay i have the gun i'm taking over government it had to be a collective and within that collective there were really strong characters there was Abacha, there was um, so many people so of course he had to carry them along and uh, all of those internal struggles came in and uh, and that's what stopped him um, partly in handing over. But in terms of having the wherewithal, I think that, again, the military background, although he was someone of, of, of sound intellect, the military background does not prepare you. Um, I always see um, I always see Obasanjo as, as almost like a red herring. It's, it's like he, he's the one out of all of them that has been able to metamorphose. Of course, he has his own bad sides. Um, let's not Let's not try and whitewashing. But in terms of nationalism, in terms of being more having a more nationalistic view, he, he was much better than most of them. And, and their military training does not allow them or it, it isolates them from really hearing uh, from others. Most people are just saying, yes, sir, yes, sir, and whatever you want to hear, they will tell you. So if you don't have that broad mindset, that sense of, I mean, this is one big, broad com- country with 250 ethnic, ethnicities, how do we manage to make everybody come together and build a strong country. He didn't have that, and he didn't have the, the background, the training, the understanding to bring that part out and, and run the country effectively. So I think that's where he failed. But not to say that he wasn't
0: smart at all. It was just that, that background issue. Well, thank you, uh, Phoenix, for shedding light, because I think, yes, you're, you're right. So I would say it's not that he didn't know what to do. The issue was... Because he had certain loyalties to certain centers of power, that did not give him the freedom to maneuver. But on to the next topic, which is Diageo. In uh, the Bloomberg last week, announced that Diageo was supposed to be refinancing about twenty-three million dollars in loans, but they've been unable to do so because they can't access a foreign exchange. And and the report says it's not just Diageo. Other companies, too, have anonymously complained that they cannot get the forex that they need to finance their day-to-day transactions. So, firstly, to Eloka, because I know you're a trade finance person. What is going on? Why why is there no forex? Okay. Um, So,
1: everybody knows that there's been the CBN has been trying to manage our foreign exchange reserve. And what I think is happening now is, um, the CBN is prioritizing demand for foreign exchange. So a bit of history, right? Um, the foreign exchange allows companies to import capital. So you can either import capital in form of cash, which is, I mean, you take a loan from an overseas lender, maybe your parent company overseas, or, A financial institution overseas or a third party overseas and so you bring the money in cbn buys the money buys the foreign exchange from you and gives you naya so you use the naya to mean add to your working capital to drive sales or buy equipment or whatever you want to do you can also import capital in the form of equipment so i read the i looked at um, the the Diageo story and and i was it was a bit confusing for me because so there are two things right it's either Diageo wants to buy foreign exchange to pay off their FCY loan, or they want a bank to lend them foreign currency so they can pay off their FCY loan. So there are two there are two items that need to, that we need to clear out. So on the first on the first part I suspect Diageo has gone to Central Bank and said I need twenty three because they said they're looking for twenty three million. dollars, I need twenty three million dollars, right, to pay off my foreign currency my foreign currency loan because i mean and if you think about it we don't know when they took the loan so it's possible they took the loan four years ago right and at that time the naira was trading maybe 200 or 190 or whatever the naira was trading at. so on their books right they would have represented an an, a loan marked at a given exchange rate of 200. currently the naira is trading at what a 390 Officially, then four seventy in the prior market. So if they were if they were to buy twenty three million dollars today, they were going to cough out more Naira to pay to pay. You understand? You understand? Or they've gone to banks and say, okay, my foreign suppliers are demanding that we repay them. We need a bank to lend us twenty three million dollars so we can pay off our so they can refinance their loan, pay off their foreign supplier. So I. I those are the two those are the two issues I think we should look at. And it's unfortunate, right? Because the central bank has used this unorthodox process of demand management to determine who is priority and who is not priority. And from what I see, they don't think a loan repayment is priority. They might say, oh, instead of us giving money for you to repay loan, we're looking for people that want to bring in equipment, machineries, a bit of school fees, and stuff like that. So, the central bank has not honored their request to, I mean, their request to foreign exchange. And I think there's actually a big problem because what it sends a wrong, a bad signals to people that would have want, would, would want to lend foreign currency to companies in Nigeria. Say, so, okay, if a, if a company as big as the cannot repay or refinance their loans, then who else is going to be able to repay or refinance their loans? So I'm just worried about the mixed signals. This kind of information is going to give to lenders and investors abroad. But clearly Nigeria has a problem with foreign currency. We have and I think I think it's high time the CBN looks for a better means to manage our foreign currency. If it's to say, okay, let's allow the currency float, get the inflows we need, settle our outstanding demand. I, I say I hear the outstanding demand is at about seven billion dollars. Clear outstanding demand, then you can start on a fresh note. So I mean it's Nigeria. It's it's, it's a uh, it's it's um, it's a, we're in a difficult situation, and I think we just need to bite the bullets and I mean, clear what we have outstanding and start on a fresh note.
0: Um, Phoenix, um, contributions, I can see that you're raising hand, but I'll just ask Phoenix a question quickly and then we'll come to you. Oh, uh, Phoenix, one of the things Eluka has said is there's, there's an outstanding balance of seven billion, and this is. And not aside from the, the outstanding balance, he's just saying that the the central bank cannot seem to manage the supply and demand for foreign exchange for business, and as also supposed for for travel. And he said one of the possible solutions is to float the currency. And the question is, other countries or developed countries have floated their currency. So why is Nigeria refusing? To just floats the naira as a, as a as the sound way to to balance uh, demand and supply.
2: I think I mean the 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 reason is obvious. I mean we've it's the is the do not murder the naira chant that we've been hearing from from Buhari from what's it twenty fourteen when he when he started campaigning for the twenty fifteen elections. <laughs> among the things that they promised was that they were going to make the Naira uh, one-to-one to the dollar. So that's what has carried on, and that's what Godin Emifiele, the central bank governor, has been has been following. He's, he's, as far as he's concerned, a significant devaluation of the Naira would not sit well with Buhari, and that's why they've refused to float, despite the fact that I mean, this has been the most obvious choice since twenty sixteen, when it became very clear uh, that Nigeria had lost the handle on, on being able to manage the um, uh, the exchange rates. I mean, Nigeria has. I mean, if you look at CBN data itself, Nigeria doesn't. Central bank doesn't control um, um, all FX that comes into Nigeria. Central bank cannot. Meet the demand um, for FX in Nigeria, primarily because not because of imports, not because people want to import. Because even our expenditure on imports is so small compared to GDP that it's not it's not a a, a major issue. That's not the issue. the The issue for F, um, for FX demand in Nigeria is because people don't trust the naira, and because they don't trust the naira, they see the dollar as store of value. So anybody that makes any additional money convert and invest it in the stock market which they also don't trust they will convert it into FX so you have people who sit on FX balances who who would prefer who prefer that as a store of value and so that drives up demand um, for for foreign exchange and because your central bank wants to position itself as having the capability to meet every single demand because when you set price when you when you For countries that peg their currency that is they they tell you this is how much the exchange rate for my for my currency is they are saying to you that they will meet that price at any point in time but they have the reserves to do so so i'm talking about countries like saudi arabia the uae and the like nigeria has never been in that situation so you cannot be trying to determine price when you don't have the reserves or you don't have the capability to meet every single person that comes to you and asks and says they want to buy so the, the, the logical thing, as back, back as 2016, would have been to float the currency. The problem is, the moment you float, especially when there's so much uh, demand in the market, of course, the, the value will drop. But it will stabilize. And as the market becomes more fluid and more, because Nigeria has always, you see, the good thing for Nigeria, and I, and I hope we don't lose it with Buhari's mismanagement. The good thing for Nigeria was that we've always had a steady stream of foreign exchange coming into the, into the country, be it from diaspora, uh, be it from investors looking to take advantage of the marketplace, um, FBI, FDI, all of that was flowing in. So, CBN was practically seeing maybe about a third of all of the FX that was coming to Nigeria, max, maybe 50%. So there, there, is, there is always effects in Nigeria. The problem is that because CBN is setting a very funny price that is not market related, it skews the market so that the demand that is excluded from the CBN window goes chasing after um, sort of like unregulated funds and, and all of that becomes, and people set price and, and that's it and it goes haywire. If you float, you leave it to the market, of course there will be an initial drop. After a while, the market will stabilize, it will become fluid. People will understand that there's plenty of forex flowing in and out of Nigeria, that you can get um, dollars anytime you need it. The price will will regularize and and things will work well for Nigeria. We've seen it. We've seen it in a country like Egypt. They were in a worse situation to us as, as of November 2016. They floated their currency, they managed it, and now... They're in such a, a good place that is untrue. Since then, they've done so many other projects that they've been able to do. And, and now, inflation shot up to about 30%. Now it's down to, about last time I checked, it was around 5 between 4 and 5% or thereabouts. So you, you can't argue with economics. It is, it is fact. If you let things go the way it should go, you would, you would have results. Yes, it would be painful in the first instance, but you will ride the, the wave and then you'll be the better for it because your 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 market your market will now develop itself and we won't be having um our currency at the whim of uh political notions and all of that but they simply have refused to to listen and 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 that's why we are here every single time um there's a jolt you will see a shift now we're now moving five years ago we were at uh, you know four, so about six years ago, when we had the oil price, the further major oil price crash in 2014, the, the currency had been stable for four years. Uh, what am I talking about? Four five years um, under, what's his name, um, Sanusi, where we had around 155. And then we had two quick devaluations uh, between November 2014 and February um, 2015 that took us to 198, thereabouts, when... Buhari took over. But since then, look at where we are now. We've gone from now 198 to now the prior market is again pushing 500. So if I go back to the initial question that um, um, Eloka was answering before about Diageo, what they're simply seeing is, I mean, if, I, if I'm a, guys, the guys, the financial director and the, and, the, and the board are simply trying to be smart, to do the right thing by their company. You have a a dollar-denominated loan. You 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 have when you are looking at the cost of the facility, you have to factor in both the FX exposure and the interest rate that you are paying. And at this point in time, it makes more sense for them to take a Naira-denominated loan, pay off the dollar one, because you can see very clearly that this Naira is going to crash. There is no way Naira is going. They're they're going to be the the CBN is going to be able to defend the Naira at three eighty. So we might as well take that hit
0: now move out of there because it will be cheaper for us in the long run. Well, I, I think you're right you're, you're on the fact that the currency needs to be floated because it's obvious that we cannot manage demand. And we've seen examples of Egypt. I remember when Egypt first announced they were going to float their currency. And a few commentators thought they were foolish, but we can see the results. Absolutely. But to contributions, Eluka and Phoenix have, have talked more in the academic sense of flotation, demand management, and they've talked about uh, forex scarcity and how loans are refinanced. But the question for you is, what is the real-life impact of these uh, policies on the ordinary man on the street, the person who's, right. who's buying bread or who's, who has a job or who needs to feed, uh, pay their school fees? What what's the real life impact on those people?
3: Right, uh, that's that's the that's the question that I was going to answer. So I would be the, uh, I would be the dissenting voice in this argument for flotation, although um, my my training would agree for flotation and agree for devaluation. Um, What's happening is a clash of um, economic um, principles or interpretation of economic uh, processes or results. Um, If you float, um, Eluka and Phoenix are are very correct. Uh, The market will stabilize, blah, blah, blah. Um, So all, all that stuff is good, right? But you have to consider what Buhari's position is and it's that um, Nigeria imports everything. We import bread, our um, Aldo was actually correct, we import pizza. Um, and so if you float and the dollar gets to 700, then the price of staple goods, um, increase skyrocket, and although Phoenix said that it 's a small portion, import is a small portion of GDP. What you should be looking at are the ripple effects. What happens to the basket of goods that determine quality of life of the average Nigerian, and so all those things start to imp- uh, increase, and then life becomes life would be good at the macro level for formal sector businesses, but life will be horrible for the people on the street. And so the unfortunate thing with economics, right, is that you cannot do laboratory experiments. In fact, the people who tried, who have attempted to do RCTs, won a Nobel Prize for it because you cannot do lab experiments. You have to run real-life experiments and then look at what happens. And what's the result of that is that people might die. The country might implode. People might hit the streets in riots. So, um, so that's the dissenting voice. Um, but going back to your question on what is what is happening? Um, I, will, I read that Bloomberg report, and they seem to say that the reason the central bank cannot uh, meet the demand is a fall in oil prices. And, you know, um, so I want to refer back to a tweet that you mentioned me on, where you, where you showed me that oil is only a small portion of the Nigerian economy. And the question is, if oil is only a small portion of the Nigerian economy, then why is a reduction in oil prices, bringing um, the, the cash flow of Forex in Nigeria to, why is it grinding to a halt? And um, so, so the, the, the question or the issue might not just be whether oil is a small part, but it's on what we are doing as a country to make sure that the other parts of the Nigerian economy are export-based. And if we're seeing that they are not export based, and rather we are an import based society, then you really will not want to float the naira because the average person on the street will not be able to survive, given that he now has to really or technically pay for everything at a dollar of seven hundred naira, whereas he's paying for stuff at a dollar of three ninety, right? No,
0: I think... Um, uh, sorry, can I, I, can, I, can, I, can I... No, yes, I'll give you the chance to respond. I was just going to say quickly that uh, I obviously disagree with uh, contributions, but as, as he knows, myself and him, have had numerous uh, debates about this very point when I used to visit you in uh, Boston. So, rather than engage, I'll allow uh, Elokar respond. If, I presume you want to respond to the points, contributions has have made. Yes, yes. I'll uh, let Eloka r- respond. Okay, so... Um,
1: I mean, so I, I need us to be clear about what, when, we, when we say the common man or there's going to be a revolt or a riot, we need to look at historically how the Naira has moved. I remember when the Naira was trading for less than a hundred bucks, it went to 1, 117, 120. Now, as recently, right, as good Luck Jonathan's government, which was four years ago, the Naira was trading at 160, he inched up to 199. What's the our trading at today? The United trading at what? 369 in quotes officially. But in the black market, it's trading at 470. Is there any riots in the streets of Nigeria? The well, price... I
3: think that. No, sorry, I think I, that you know. this is why people are not happy with the Buhari government no, right now. No, no, right? no. no. Uh,
0: wait, wait, contributions. Let, let uh, Eluka land. Let him finish. No,
3: what I'm saying is. If
1: you look at how the relationship in the change, the change in foreign exchange, right? And the price of commodities, it is, I, I can say there's, it is, it's not, it's not a directly, it's not a, it's not a um, proportionally direct relationship. Now, if we see what, what, what the argument for floating is, you have spent up demand, the economy is not attracting capital. So even if we are going to address price of goods, right? Most of the goods you buy today in Nigeria already priced a devaluated currency. Because if I buy goods from maybe Togo or Lomé or China, I'm not going to price those goods at 470 naira. It's impossible. What's replacement cost? You're going to price it at a cost. You're not sure that when you sell those goods, you'll be able to buy back. But of course, you're not. You're the buyer, so you don't understand. What, you don't know what the seller is dealing with any seller of commodities in Nigeria today is not pricing his goods or her goods at 470 I can bet you they are pricing at 600 You understand? So when we talk about... So what... So, so when you talk about... When you talk about saying the poor man is going to stop, the poor man is already suffering. And the poor man is paying the price of an exchange of a rate that has already been repriced. You understand? So, the, so I mean... We need, to address, we need to address the fact that people are not getting foreign exchange. People are also buying goods at a high price. So it's not better you just say, okay, let us flow the currency so we know what the, what the true value of the Naira is. So whoever wants to buy something today will know that if I want to buy tomorrow, this is the price I'm going to pay. So you don't start adjusting or thinking with... I mean, you are talking about elasticity of demand. But the point is that Nigerians, are, Nigerians today are buying goods at... And over at, at a price that doesn't be that a price is priced in the dollar rate of maybe 1000. So go ahead and divide the currency because the, the adjustment in price you think is that is going to happen has already happened.
0: Well, I must uh, I must thank you, Aloka, at this point. I think Phoenix wanted to also respond to contributions. Did you,
2: yes, yes, I did. I, I just wanted to address a few things. I, I, I think, uh, can you make it a, a, a very quick point? yeah, yeah, I, I will. I, I... What, what I wanted to address is this. I think contributions made a valid point, but Eluka has already addressed it succinctly. But what I, the point I wanted to point, make was, when we talk about the poor man, let, let's, let's, not, let's not talk about that it's almost middle class, because the middle class is practically wiped out in Nigeria, but almost middle class section of the country that, is, that has the loudest voice. The poor man has very little um, direct... Um, um, feels very little direct impact from FX rates. Why? Because the things that they use and 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 the, the, the biggest chunk of their expenditure, which is on food and housing, is is, is very localized. The biggest argument we always had against uh, floating and evaluation and all of that was always fuel, because we import hundred percent of the fuel that we use, and therefore it was not so much as the impact on the people, it was more about the subsidy um, tab that the government was picking up. So if you, if you look at it from that perspective, you will understand that the, the way you devalue, that's why you see that when you devalue the, the, the currency, there's no, there's no massive noise because people don't, the, real, the real people don't really, don't, don't really feel it that much unless fuel prices go up and, and transportation therefore go, goes up as a, as a result. And then you feel the downstream effect of food prices going up and all of that. The other thing is, if, if they were really worried about the poor men, the policies that they've put in place have hurt the poor man far worse than any flotation or anything would happen. Shutting the border, borders has caused food inflation to, to skyrocket in Nigeria. Food inflation is at 15% today. So if, if you are really talking about the things that you're doing. You're saying, no, I don't want to float because it will, will, the coronary will lose value. But you are doing things that are consistently hurting the people more than that will. So I, for me, it's just when we hear these things, we should look at the numbers, we should look at how it actually impacts people and what really hurts the common people before um, we jump on the bond bandwagon of governments who are just spinning propaganda without baseless propaganda for that matter. At
0: this this point, I have to step in because uh, time is not on our side. I think I'll just quickly conclude my final response to uh, contributions because we've had this debate before. From my perspective, the reality of this situation is you cannot manufacture a value out of thin air. If the central bank wants to say the dollar should be 200, that's fine, you can say that, but you have to be able to meet the demand. And the reality of the situation is the central bank cannot meet the demand for dollars. So whether we like it or not, they're going to have to float at some point. So as much as you might couch the argument about, as about caring for the poor or worrying about food prices or inflation, the reality is if you cannot meet the demand, you cannot meet the demand if you just because you decree that the value of a Mercedes Benz should be £5. Does not mean anybody's going to be able to get a Mercedes Benz for £5. But moving on to the final topic, as I said at the start, Wally Shoinka has raised the alarm and he's also been joined by Governor Autumn of Benue. Apparently, this new water resources bill has come into effect, as has been represented to the National Assembly. Apparently, it's gone through the first and second reading in the House, nobody seemed to know about this uh, uh, process, and it's now in the committee stage. So firstly to uh, Phoenix, are, are people rights to be concerned about this bill?
2: You know, that, that's, that's a great question because I, the, the worry I have is, has anybody actually seen the bill? We've, we've seen people reproduce sections from it, and the sections I've seen seem rather innocuous, so I'm like, what are we it's almost as if because of the overriding context around Ruga and all of those kind of things it's easy to raise alarm but until I actually see the bill and and see what the issue is I'm not so sure what why it's creating so much drama one because number one um, the we have a land use act in in play which says that all land and by extension, all water under that land and around that land within a state is vested in the governor. This bill cannot repeal, at least we're not, they're not saying that that's going to repeal the Land Use Act. Number two, we have a Water Resources Act or decree from 1993, which already exists and vests all waters that impact more than one state vests that in the federal government. My understanding from the little I've been able to glean and, and, and find is that this bill seeks to do the same thing. I, I, I read a, 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 writer, a, a, what's it called, a, almost like a bill submission paper by Roger B. Miller that states the same thing, that this bill is about vesting the waters that cross more than one state in the federal government so so the first thing that i was concerned about is why are they if there is already although may, they may say that it's because it's a decree and blah 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 it doesn't it doesn't but i believe that there's still land use act two was a decree so i don't understand why that uh, is valid and this one is not valid and i've not heard that it's simply a revision of of that act so f- for me I'm, I'm a bit in the bind because I haven't seen the full details of, of the act. And from the excerpts that I've seen, it's more the noise around it and the, the fact that people are tying it and saying that it's another ruga. I believe, I believe that absolutely the federal government should, should control water resources between across states. Otherwise, you are leaving some states at the mercy of other states. Imagine the river Niger and somebody decides to... Um, which, one, which is the first state that it comes into Nigeria? I can't remember now, but maybe some maybe Kogi State decides to dam it and and redirect it. I, I mean, let like just follow my analogy for, for one, and then the the states downstream no longer have access to it. So to that extent, there has to be an arbiter who 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 controls it for the for the benefit of everyone. It is what is then in the bill that we need to that we need to find out. And this is encapsulated in the exclusive list of the constitution. So it's not as if something that has been out of the blue. So I'm speaking now because and I put that caveat that I have not seen the full details of the bill and therefore do not know what other things they've snuck in, because we've seen so many bills that have been passed under this Buari regime where it seems like they are doing good and you find that there's something that has been snuck in that creates uproar, like the karma, for instance. Um so I don't know whether there's some other parts of it that has created issues but on, on if we're looking at it at face value and saying should there be a, a water resources bill that vests waters that flow across multiple states in the federal government and make sure that there is a a manner in which it is managed for the benefit of everyone I absolutely agree with that it is what is then the content and how it is going to be managed that we need to get to and I do not think that uh, state governors and all of that will be happy to give up their rights under the Land Use Act, or to cede control of waters in their territory to the to the federal government. So uh, maybe somebody else has more information around it and has seen the full thing and, and gone through it. But from what I've seen, I'm just not sure why there's so much opera beyond the fact that, of course, people are
0: seeing it as another part of the Ruga agenda. Well, thank you, Phoenix. I read Wallace uh statement and then I read Governor Autumn's. And Governor Autumn seems to go into more detail. So he specifically is saying that th- this new water resources bill seems to contradict the Land Use Act. And he's specifically referring to Section 2 which seems to give rights to the president or the federal government over not just the, uh, the rivers, but the, the river basins and adjacent marine and coastal interests. And what he's basically saying is this is not only governing just the water, but also all the, the, the land that is directly next to the water could also be now be claimed as part of federal land, and he's worried that th- those sort of lands that are next to the rivers are, he claims that's part of the Ruger agenda, because once that is now that land is now claimed to belong to the federal government, then that can then be given to uh, the herders at, and at the expense of the farmers. That's what uh, Governor Autumn seems to be saying. But I'm going to ask Eluka at this point, do you have any concerns about the bill, or do you think... Shoinka and Governor Otum are just uh, making unnecessary unnecessary noise.
1: Well, I do not think um, so. What it is, I've, I've been trying to look at the bill. I managed, I've managed to look just a quick glance through the bill, and I think the issue right is the federal government trying to cl- trying to redefine what surface water and ground water means. So. What I think the bill is saying is, the federal government now has rights over water that is on the, um, that is underground. So, like you just said, like what autumn is saying, now this is just an insinuation. So the I, the thinking is, if there's a farmland, right, and that farmland is beside the body of water, right, and farmers come and say they use that farmland for irrigation, and it belongs to them. What this bill is saying here is because it is a body of water, the federal government has rights and can expropriate that body of water and distribute for public use. So that's part of what, and that's why someone like Autumn is making, saying, I mean, this is what the federal government is trying to achieve. So there's not going to be a clash for resources. So, it, I mean, you build your farmlands where you have access to irrigation. At the same time, the reason, Headers also want land where there is access to water. So you have, because you want your cattle to always have enough supply of water. And the farmers also, there are farmers who feel that the land is theirs, whether it's under, whether there's a body of water on it. So they have a right to use the water in whatever means they want to. But this bill is saying that the government can take that on the surface, underground water and use it for public use. So I can understand where autumn is coming from. But, like, again, the problem wrong with Nigeria is that there is really no intellectual discussion. So a bill like this is out. It's just one person. I mean, some, a, a journalist, David, that's um, written about the bill, and he has highlighted some of the controversial points in the bill. So what I'm for what, anything I see in the bill is that the government is saying for you to be able to do anything that involves water, let's say so you want to drill a borehole, right? You would need to get a license. I find that funny because the government has failed in its responsibility to provide water for Nigerians. So if we I mean, I'm going to use the Southeast as an example. To drill a borehole in the Southeast is going to cost you upwards of 1.7 million. So in addition to the cost of providing water for yourself, I will need to pay the federal government in monies to drill a borehole. I, I find that very funny. To be honest and there are some other um, there are some other funny things there are some other funny things here it's, example is how the how the how the is it there's going to be creation of a new water regulation agency and that the agency is going to be funded via budgetary allocation from the federal government and our duplication and allocation from the development of natural resources so my my my, my question really is what do they mean by development of natural resources it's what are going to be Included, I mean, I'm trying to think. If you're trying to develop maybe an oil rig, which is a natural resource, are you going to take monies and say, "Okay, I want to develop"? It's not too clear. Then, fund is going to be by special taxes and levies, as maybe approved by national assembly. This is just an iron-seeking avenue by government. Do we need to create an agency? We don't need an agency. All these things can just be can be handled by the Ministry of Water Resources, and it needs to be clear, right? If you're saying that all land belongs to government and state governments, all land in in, in the state belongs to them. Why are you trying to differentiate underground? Um, I mean, there are rivers, there are oceans. Then why is there an emphasis on underground water? What's I mean, there must, there must be something government is trying to achieve. We're saying they're going to look at lands that have underground water. I'm I'm not a, I, I'm not a geologist or hydrologist, but there must be something to why they need this bill or why this bill is being passed by the federal government. So I think I, I think it would be good if people, various CSOs that are into water and natural resources, prov- provide us with key highlights of why this bill is detrimental to, the, to Nigeria as it were. Thank
0: you. Co- contributions. Aloka has uh, pointed out the many issues. One of the things he's, he's raised is the fact that there doesn't seem to be much intellectual engagement with the, with the sections of the bill. Only one journalist seems to have written extensively about it. And secondly, he's seen various sections like Governor Autumn has that raise suspicion as to the motivations of the government. And then when you factor in the Buhari government's uh, history of what, would, what I'd call sectionalism, do you think people are are entitled to distrust the motives of his government?
3: Um, the answer is an emphatic yes to that question. It, it's, it's such a yes. Um, it, it, in fact, by the time you say yes, if people want to start rioting, this should be the issue that they should riot about. Um, but to address the point about um, being an anti-intellectual society is so true. When I I read up on this, I was stunned, just like Phoenix Agenda, um, that nobody, nobody, none of the Premium Times this day um, reported this news, but none of them have a link to the bill, you know. Thankfully, Premium Times was able to put out sections that they have problems with and that gives an indication um so so shades to nigerian um journalism uh, i i was going to also throw shade at governor autumn until you until you made the points that you made if the land beside the water is appropriated by the federal government then it is possible that they can create those lands as pasture for ruga oh that makes sense but Uh, But there's also some kind of anti-intellectualism among our elite class and among our leaders. When there is a problem, they look immediately at proximal causes. Oh, it's Ruga. Oh, it's Islamization. Oh, it's radicalization. And so they use these buzzwords that are really, really stupid. And is seen the real danger of this thing. This is not the first time water resources have been moved to be appropriated by a single entity, in this case, the federal government. Um, this was done in Bolivia in 1999. The government swooped in to own all the water resources in Bolivia and then they tried to sell it to a private company and there were riots and, there, and people died so and that's why i say if you want to have any riots it has to be about water because climate change is real water resources being depleted is also real um sea water salt water which is useless water is rising and and um the global warming is drying up fresh water so this is not just uh, This is not just about Ruga. This is about the future. This is about one entity owning the water that is in the well in your compound. And that entity being able to sell it to Coca-Cola, sell it to Diageo, sell it to Microsoft, or sell it to the United States of America. So so when you look at the Premium Times article, it says that an official, upon showing a badge, can come into your compound and can check what amount of water you have. And if they determine that you are using more water than you should use, even though the water is from your well, you can be penalized for it. Why? It's not about cows. No cow is going to enter my gates right because nigerians build fences but they can sell the water in your well and prevent you from using it to uh to to other entities to companies to corporations and this is where our leaders fail as soon as i read this thing in two minutes i was like oh my god this is Cochabamba all over again and it's not about ruga it's about how we are positioned in in the globe uh, um not to ramble on and on but we all know that egypt and ethiopia are about to go to war over water over the river nile and, and so water is the most precious commodity on earth right now and, and if and if our leaders cannot see it and if our people cannot see it then we are in problem because they are not just going to sell us they are going to sell the thing we need the most and that's going to kill us all that, that's that's my contribution to this to this issue
0: Thank you, contributions. Uh, you, you've provided an interesting perspective, because from, from my view, I, I think Governor Autumn is right to be concerned because of the issue about the adjacent piece of land to the water. So there's, there's real, and uh, given Buhari's history, I perfectly understand why he's worried that this is Ruga by the back door. But I think it's also important that you've raised the other uh, perspective, which is the fact that this might be a precursor to the water being uh, sold off to. Only God knows which interests. But uh, but yes, you're obviously sounding more like uh, the Nigerian version of AOC, uh, o- Ocasio- Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, you seem uh, very left. But anyway, um, our time is up. So I must first of all thank our listeners for being loyal and always giving us helpful feedback. And I must thank our two guests, Eloka51 and Contributions for... The, for taking time to uh, be on this show, we we, we genuinely value your support, and I must also thank uh, Phoenix Agenda for your partnership and working on this project alongside myself. So until next week, I say have a fantastic seven days.
1: Thank Bye you, everybody.
0: Thank you, thank you. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Nigeria's best. Thanks,
2: um, Eloka, and contribution for joining us, and thanks, listeners. Bye, everyone. Bye.